There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Your weekend home for all things sport. This is The Grill on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live from Barasti. Here's Tom Urquhart. Uh, here is Tom Urquhart and we are into the third and final hour of The Grill, but something of a sporting extension today because we're going to be handing over to Chris McCarty, Robbie Greenfield and the rest of the team uh, who are going to be broadcasting live uh, from Yas Island. They're going to be broadcasting live from UFC 242. We'll have more build-up on that one throughout the course of this hour. They're underway in the first of the Euro qualifiers. Kosovo taking on the Czech Republic. No goals in that one yet. And they're also underway over in Dublin at the moment. Uh, first pieces of action. CVR's watching this one for us. Yeah, Tom, what I can tell you is Wales has just had a penalty and uh, not like him, Lee Halfpenny just pulling it to the side of the post. So currently three minutes played, Ireland zero, Wales zero, missed penalty by fullback Lee Halfpenny. I just want to go back to the cricket as well because England have lost another wicket uh, a few minutes ago with um, Stuart Broad, uh, the last man to go. That has brought Jack Leach to the uh, crease to join Joss Butler. Butler, I suppose, now with something of a... Well, he, the, the, the more onus will be on him. The first thing they need to do is to get to 298 to avoid the follow-on. They're currently at 287. Uh, so they need uh, trail by 210 runs. They need another 10 runs to avoid the follow-on, which could be interesting. In Leach, we believe. I mean, last time he faced 70 balls for one run. I, I reckon with him there, I'm feeling quite confident that they'll avoid the follow-on. Can we have a quick word about uh, a certain Steve Smith as well? Actually, before we do that, I want to get the thoughts of a former... Uh, Australian captain uh, Ricky Ponting who's been reflecting on Steve Smith's uh, more f latest uh, record-breaking uh, innings uh, and of course the influence that P punter Ponting has had on Steve Smith's life and career. Ricky how impressive have Pat Cummins and Josh Hazel been today? Yeah, they've been awesome. Um, Cummo was the first spell after tea I think he bowled seven over straight after tea that was as good a fast bowling as you'll see. There's, there's very little in the pitch Old ball as well. The end that he bowled from, he's, he's sort of bowling into a, an across breeze. He's still got the ball to swing away against the breeze. So, um, you know, Joe Root's one of the best players in the world and Cummo had him on toast there for six or seven over straight. So, and the thing I like about Hazelwood and Cummins is their effort as well. You know whenever you throw them the ball that the effort's going to be there. You look at their speeds through, through the, not only this game, but through the whole series. You know, they've, they've been around that 86, 87 miles an hour, but that's been their average speed and their top speed's been on about 90 and that's been consistent right through every game. When you look at Archer, he's bowled up to 95 and other times he's bowled down at sort of low 80s. So, you know, it's what you expect from your fast bowlers in a test match. When they get their chance to bowl, that they give you everything they've got and our guys have certainly done that. Just on Cummins, that speller after tea, I mean, the figures don't do it justice, do they? No, absolutely not. I mean, he, he you know, worked his backside off and finally got the edge that flew between, you know, Payne and Warner. That would have been the reward that he deserved at the end of that spell was high class fast bowling. You know, when he had when he had Root on strike, he pitched it up and got it to shape away. And when he had um, Burns on strike, he ran in and bowled short and tucked him up under the armpit and um, you know built all sorts of pressure. That's the thing about it as well. It's been a good batting pitch, but you look at the the, the strike rate today of the batsman has been particularly low. So that says a lot about how well, particularly um, Josh and, and Pat have bowled. Does Cummins remind you of anyone you played with or against? Um, it's a good question. There's a bit, there's a little bit of Dale Stain in him actually, the way that he bowls. You know, you, you just know that that effort's always going to be there. He's got similar sort of action and can get the ball to shape away. Um, obviously, he's a bit taller and probably gets a bit more bounce than what Stain did, but you just know that 
they're at you the whole time. You know, there's nowhere to hide. When, you, when you're on strike to guys like that, you, you know, you have to be at your absolute best and your sharpest or they're going to knock you over. Hazelwood missed the first test, but he's been in great form in the past three. What's he done to take his game to another level? Yeah, well, if you look at the, you know, the, the three tests, well, two and a half tests that he's played to now, you'd probably argue that he's been the pick of the balls in pretty much every game. I think he's got 14 or 15 wickets now, and he's um, you know, three wickets, I think, behind Pat in the series, but Pat's played one more game. So, um, yeah, look, I think we've known for a long time how special this, potentially special this group of fast bowlers that we've got can be. You put Stark in there, you put um, Pattinson in there, and, and Stark that's come back for this game. Then, you know, it's a pretty good group of bowlers. Sids has played his role as well in the series when he's when he's needed to, and so it, it's a, it's a special group. And I think, you know, I think we've all been excited to see them play in some conducive England conditions. They've been here before and haven't probably bowled as well as they would have liked in these conditions. But this series, they've lived up to all the expectation that we all place on them. I guess. Right from the start of Hazel's career compared to Glenn McGrath, do you think those comparisons are fair or is he his own bowler? I think the comparisons are fair because they're quite similar, really. They're similar sort of height, they bowl a similar sort of pace and you know, the, neither of them are swing bowlers, really. They're out-and-out seam bowlers and so the comparisons are always going to be there, you know, but um, I'm not sure what their, their records look like at a similar stage, but maybe there's some comparisons there as well. But, you know, it's... It's one thing to compare, you know, Josh Early in his career, but start comparing to McGrath and he's, you've got a long way to go just yet. But uh, this series so far, he's been outstanding. I mean, bowlers certainly have been the pick of the players in this series, this Ashes series that we're reflecting on at the moment. Uh, the bowling uh, setups from both teams have been the dominant force, um, apart from a certain uh, Steve Smith, who's just confounded all his critics and just goes I mean how'd you get him out? I don't know Tom I mean, we, me and you've spoken at length about this on the show and honestly I don't have the answer and uh, you know Steve Smith I think you've got to I know as harsh as what it sounds I think it seems like you've got to hit him with a ball or actually injure him to, to kind of get him out because if you don't get a ball close to his body he just stands there and uh, of course the last test he, he, he didn't play because he got, he, he got injured and uh, now he just seems back to his old self again absolutely fantastic he just seems to be able to play all the England bowlers and once again the patience of that man when he's in the middle is unbelievable so I don't have the answer for you Tom unfortunately not if anyone does have an answer as to how to get Steve Smith out, then please do send it through to us. I mean, uh, regardless of what he's done, obviously he's had these ups and his downs in his career, uh, and he's served his penance for that. But since he's come back, some of the stats that were coming out of that 200 that he's just scored, uh, I think the, my, my favourite one was the fact that it, he could now score, he can now get a duck for his next 30 innings and still have an average above 50. Well, that says it all, and uh, I think... The thing about Steve Smith is that these runs always come at crucial times. He, he's a big match player. You know, it's in the big games that he really, really makes him. And as you say, this double ton, I mean, the Ashes has really been, been the Steve Smith show, hasn't it really? I mean, and as you say, England have really struggled to contain him. They finally got, got, got a bit of, you know, body line going, which, which saw him out temporarily. But uh, he's back now, stronger than ever before. And as you say, a fantastic, fantastic knock. He averages 147.25 in this series, with two hundreds and a double hundred as well. Despite not playing until August of this year, okay, take that into account, didn't play till August this year, he's now the highest run scorer in tests this year, with 589 from four innings. And just to reiterate that, if he gets a duck in his next 30 innings, he'll still have an average over 50. And you know what I always love is all these cr- cricket uh, critics and cricket know-hows always criticise his batting style because he's so unorthodox. <laughs> and I- I'm starting to think that maybe he's doing it the right way. Because he's doing it right, yeah. To your point, if you, look, if you look at that average, I don't think anybody should say anything about his style and way of playing. 
Uh, let's get the, the, some words from the man himself. Uh, obviously, he has been extraordinary in this series to date. Uh, and he, uh, well, he's, he's been reflecting on it. He's also been quite sort of open about uh, some of his success and saying that England haven't done themselves any favours and played into his hands and his strengths on occasion. Steve Smith continues to draw comparisons to Sir Donald Bradman. After crafting a magical double century in the fourth Ashes test, Tony Jones is in Manchester. Tony, Smith's mounting a strong case. Oh, he certainly is, Pete. Good evening. Uh, he is a once-in-a-generation cricketer, there's no doubt about that. And I think it's OK if we compare him to Donald Bradman. He's certainly generating the excitement that the Don did back in the Depression era. Uh, Bradman finished with a career average of 99.94. Steve Smith is in the high 60s at the moment, but of course can better that. Uh, Steve Smith yesterday brought up his third double tonne against England. Bradman scored five double tonnes against England. So look, at the moment, the, uh, the stats and the comparisons are coming thick and fast, as did the runs yesterday for Steve Smith. In racing terms, Steve Smith is fresh after a spell and the comeback kid continues to make every post a winner. Steve Smith continues to dominate this series. A world-class player batting in a world of his own. The double century punctuating his status as the modern-day Don. Well, Steve, your third double ton, given what you've been through, is this the most satisfying? Uh, yeah, pretty pleasing. Um... Yeah, nice to, to be able to score some runs and, and put the team in a good position. There was widespread concern as to how Smith would recover psychologically from that vicious bouncer that felled him at Lords, but we should never have doubted him. I've played enough cricket now to... I know my game um, pretty well. Um, I know that Lords was, you know, a pretty difficult wicket. It was hard work um, with the short stuff there. This wicket was, was much different. His innings was no smash and bash. Like most of his triple-figure knocks, this one was carved out clinically, session by session. Having gone to lunch with that century under his belt, Steve Smith returned to the middle, hungry for more, a whole lot more. It was England who made a meal of things after the break. First Tim Payne. Oh, that swung and it's dropped. And then, just as Smith looked down on 118, a double take. Oh, that looked like a no ball to me, that. No way. Seriously. Unbelievable. A left arm spinner to Steve Smith, a no ball. The reprieve merely fueled the crowd's disdain for Smith. Doesn't bother me. Um, I'm pretty chilled, just go about my business. Each stroke seemed to bring up a milestone of which there are many. But it's not only records Steve Smith is breaking. Today, he again broke England's heart. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, the fans, uh, they weren't happy about it either, that's for sure. Uh, look, as you can see, it's a little gloomy here in Manchester, but we're told from the locals, fingers crossed, that will clear, and it should be a pretty fine afternoon round about lunchtime. All right, I'll be back a little Well, that certainly has been the case over the last few days, uh, as a play is ongoing at the moment. Uh, England are still batting. Uh, we are seeing that they are now six uh, runs away from the follow-on. So I'm going to keep an eye on that one for you uh, during the uh, rest of the show. Uh, whatever happens here, um, uh, we will keep all our eyes on the live sport. Talking of the live sport, there is a game of rugby underway at the moment. Let's get the latest on that one, shall we? From our man, CVR. Yeah, Tom, as I said, live from Ireland. It's Ireland taking on Wales. 30 minutes played, score still 0-0. A very even affair thus far. 
Thanks very much indeed for that. What else is going on in the world of sport? Well, we're getting ready for another cracking uh, men's final. We're talking about the Serena Williams uh, final in the US Open. What about the men's final tomorrow? Uh, another few surprises along the way in the men's draw. Um, is there a big surprise about a certain Rafa Nadal? Well, let's hear from Nadal now uh, after his semi-final books, his place into the final. Rafa, third major final this year. Fifth U.S. Open final, 27th major final of your career. What are you most pleased with tonight? Well, uh, thank you very much, uh, Tom. I think um, first set have, have been a little bit frustrating uh, because I had a lot of red points, I think, before that tiebreak, and you don't want to be in a tiebreak against a player like Mateo after having a lot of red points for you and he, he didn't have he doesn't have no one so in the tiebreak I I was a little bit lucky you know because with 5-2 and 4-0 you know the thing have been uh, for him almost 100% but uh, I survived at that moment and then I think uh, I started to finally I had the break after a lot of chances in the second and after that the match completely changed you know I think I started to play with more calm uh, playing a little bit more aggressive and you know, I'm super happy to be back in the final of the US Open. <laughs> there was a lot of talk about your competitive fight and spirit heading into this match. Down 4-0 in the tie break. Ultimately having to save a couple of set points. What do you tell yourself? What's going through your mind in those moments, Rafa? Well, I just tried to to stay uh, to stay focused on the next point because um, you know you see four zero, you see things very far. But uh, my goal was to win that point with myself uh, four one, and then try to win at least one of uh, the next two points uh, on the return. No, because then if you are able to to keep winning the the next two, you are five four, so the pressure stays in in his side. So uh, I don't know. Sometimes uh, works, sometimes not works. Uh, today. Uh, I was lucky to, to to win that first set, and yeah, I want to. I don't want to, to forget to say congrats to Matteo. No, he's young, he has everything, and uh, he will become a a great player. He already is one of the best players of the world. He has a great a great future in front. So all the very best for him and all his team. And now in the final, you get another young great player who's had a spectacular summer. He's lost one final. And that was to you. When you think about Daniil Medvedev, what's the challenge? Well, he's one of the more solid players on tour. No, he's he's making steps forward every single week, uh, having an amazing summer, winning Cincinnati, playing the final in Montreal, Washington, and uh, now the final here. No, so. Um, you know, is the player that is playing better today on on tour during this summer, so um, will be the toughest opponent in that final. So I, I need to be playing at my best. As always, uh, in a Grand Slam final, you can't expect an easy opponent. So uh, you need to play your best in a final of of, of the U.S. Open, and uh, you know that for me it means a lot to be back where I am today after. Uh, some tough moments at the beginning of the season. So I uh, just can say thank you very, very much, everybody, for the support. have been amazing during the, the both weeks, and I hope to see you on Sunday. <laughs> Finally, Rafa, we're going to see Serena 
20 years after she won her first title out here playing tomorrow. For you, 14 years after winning your first major, you're in a final. What's the secret? What sustains you? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, secret is probably just the passion and, and love for, for what you are doing. No, uh, you know, uh, it's impossible to, to have a, a successful and long and very long career if you really don't uh, love what, what you do. And I think Serena, of course, uh, is amazing what she's doing. Uh, all the very best for her. I think she deserves, after all the things that uh, she's fighting, she's facing to, to be back and win again here will be amazing for her. All the very best of luck for, for her. And for me personally, you know, it's just uh, another chance on Sunday, no? And I, I want to enjoy the, the day of tomorrow, try to have a good practice and just... Tomorrow, Sunday is the is the day to to play my best. Unbelievable goal! This is the grill live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Well, let's have a look at the games that are on at the moment. Let's go over to Dublin and get the latest ahead of the final warm-up, the final tune-up, if you like, between Wales and Ireland. CBR's got this one for us. Yeah, Tom, as you said, the final tune-up. And what I can tell you is it's Ireland that's attacking the Welsh try line at the moment. There's 20 minutes played. It's still Ireland zero, Wales zero. Uh, what's going on in the world of cricket? Well, I can tell you that England have just avoid, avoided the follow-on. And then a couple of uh, balls later, it all comes to an end. Uh, there was a lot going on, a lot of suggestions as to what role uh, Joss Butler, who was looking set actually, 41 not out, uh, would play, um, and he missed a straight one. So he's gone, uh, which means England have gone. However, they have passed that follow-on target. They still trail Australia, though, by 196 runs. So I expect Australia now to come out to score quickly, um, certainly for the, the, the remainder of today. Probably put England in uh, for an hour before the end of play today, uh, if they can get that lead up uh, to about 300 or so. Uh, so we'll watch on with interest on that one. In the meantime, though, we are, of course, focusing on all things Abu Dhabi. Uh, it's UFC 242. Um, we started by discussing this one a little earlier on today with Ross Christ. We'll continue those conversations. We're also joined now uh, by our friend and colleague, Mr. Chris McCarty, who joins us live from Yas Island. McCarty, thanks very much indeed for uh, taking time to speak to us ahead of your live broadcast from there. How's it looking at the moment? Yeah, very good afternoon to you, Tom. We've just actually made it on to Yas Island. It's supposed to be an awful lot of fight times making their way down the doors. Opened about 25 minutes or so ago. The prelim fight they begin at 6 o'clock. 13 fights in total this evening. We're expecting the big two, Khabib Nurmagomedov and Dustin Poirier, for those men to be making their way to the octagon at about midnight this evening. It was busy yesterday. Official figures put the number down for the way in at about 2,500. It's a complete sellout this evening. We're expecting close to 16,000 to make their way down to this bespoke venue. An extra 100 tickets went on sale a little earlier today. Those tickets... 5,000 Durham. That gives you an idea just what a big pool UFC has become, what a huge event this is, and it's not an extreme kind of shout to say that it is one of the biggest sporting events that this country has ever seen. Uh, we were just talking a little earlier on with uh, Roscoe and, and, and CBR here on, on the show, and we were looking at, obviously, the headline grabbers are the two title contenders, but it's a great undercard as well, isn't it? Oh, it's a fantastic undercard. I think you've got to look at the cool main event. Edson Barbosa is a man who is fancied by many. He won his first fight against Paul, and uh, I expect him to come out all guns blazing. The fight that I'm really looking forward to, because, of course, I am Scottish, Tom, 
is Joanne Calder with this women's flyweight fights with Andrea Lee, Andrea Lee from Louisiana in the deep south of the US. There's a lot of talk about this. I spoke with Dana White yesterday, the UFC president, and he was at pains to point out he fancies this one in actual fact to be the fight of the night. Forget Habib Nurmagomedov and Dustin Poirier. We know that it's been getting an awful lot of column inches and a lot of airtime, but he feels that Calderwood versus Lee, it could be box office. Plenty of fireworks expected in that. And as you think, with 13 fights on the card, it's going to be an awful lot of drama before midnight takes around. Chris, you've been around Abu Dhabi capital all weekend long, keeping your eyes glued to this fight. Uh, obviously, Khabib's going to come in as the heavy favorite to this one. Portier has a lot of work to do, but I'm not worried about the fight right now. I'm actually worried about the fans. Do you see any Yankees out there supporting Dustin, or is it primarily all Khabib, uh, Team Khabib out there in terms of the nation's capital? They're not going to thank me for saying this, Ross, but I think there's about 1%, maybe even less than 1% rooting for Dustin. I've enjoyed his company over the course of the past few days. Dustin Portier, very down to earth, got his feet firmly planted on the ground as Dustin. But yeah, this is a home away from home for Habib Nurmagomedov. We know there's a lot of high-profile individuals who have flown over from Dagestan. We're expecting the Chechen leader here as well. So Khabib has got some powerful men and individuals in his corner. At the weigh-in yesterday, the noise for Khabib Nurmagomedov was something that I've never been privy to. It was like a football match. It felt like Anfield. I've not mentioned old stuff there. I say Anfield on a European night because we all know what an incredible atmosphere Liverpool Football Club presents on a Tuesday or Wednesday evening in European football. It was akin to that yesterday when Khabib made his way out for that ceremonial weigh-in. So it's very much leaning towards Khabib. The people that I've been speaking to, the likes of Dan Hardy, of course, an MMA legend, someone who's now moved into the punditry world, you know, they're all pointing out that that may in actual fact hinder Khabib a little bit. He may well be feeling the pressure of this home support. He's got his father in his corner for the very first time in the UFC. He's got visa issues which don't allow him to get into the US. He's been able to get across for this one. So with all of that added into the mix, there's two schools of thought here. There's one that says Khabib might feel the pressure. There's another to say he's out to make a statement. He's not been in the octagon for 11 months. He's going to go back to that victory against Conor McGregor in October last year for the last time. We saw Khabib Nurmagomedov inside the octagon. Two schools of thought. I'm a believer that I think he's going to come out. I think this one could be over inside three rounds. I think he is going to put on a performance for his legions of fans. And the short answer to your question, Dustin, very much in the minority this evening. Yeah, he is in the minority, and he comes in as a heavy, heavy underdog. Khabib comes in as the heavy favorite. Minus 500 right now is the Vegas line. If I'm not mistaken, I believe this is Khabib's most heavy favorite opponent he's ever had. So uh, he's certainly, he's certainly, Vegas books are standing with him right now. Dustin Poirier is coming in on a 5 uh, match win streak right now, coming in of a record of 25 and 5. What does he need to do to upset the giant in Khabib who has not lost yet? What, is it, what, what in his camp, what are they telling you that he, Dustin needs to do well tonight to win? Quite simply, Ross is going to stay off his back. If Khabib gets Dustin on that mat, we know Khabib's grappling, his wrestling skills. Uh, well, I'd put it up there as the best in all of the Octagon, all of the UFC. He is a master extraordinaire at that. If Dustin can keep this a stand-up fight, and by that, I should point out, there is no guarantee that he wins this. Khabib showed in that fight against Conor McGregor that he can trade with the best. Of course, Conor McGregor has made a reputation as being a stand-up fighter. It was Conor McGregor who was almost knocked Sparkle 
he was almost knocked out in that fight. So for Dustin, I think he's going to play it too. I think he's got to run in all honesty. Also, I know that might sound funny, but I think he needs to keep away from Khabib for the first two rounds. It is a stunningly hot arena. And speaking to all the guys here, they've been a little surprised at the ventilation or lack thereof. It's going to be a stop. It's going to be a sticky night. Given Dustin Poirier is a man who works down in Louisiana, we were talking to his coaching team. They've been working without AC vents for the past 10 weeks. They feel that their man is better prepared than to beat Norma Gomadov to go five rounds. If Dustin can stay out of reach for the first two rounds, if he can take this in to the final rounds of this fight, then he stands a good chance. He's got to stay off his back, though. That is easier said than done, Ross, as you well know, because against Khabib Nurmagomedov, he is the master. He is a man that finds a way. And if he wants to end this early and goes after Dustin, then it could well be a long night for an American. We ha- we've heard McGregor. He's in a little bit of legal trouble right now, and it just seems like his head's not back in the mat. He's not going to be in the octagon anytime soon if he ever comes back again. That was the UFC's cash cow. Now that has moved over, and it's it's basically to Khabib right now. I would say he's their number one uh, box office event. Do you think Dana White is sitting in his chair tonight hoping that Khabib knocks this man out, or do you think he's hoping for an upset so he can uh, maybe get in the Dustin Poirier train rolling for the, for the box office fights? That's a good question, Ross. It's actually one that I put to Dana. He, was, uh, he wasn't going to be drawn on that yesterday. What he did point out as well is that Conor has a way back in to UFC. He has said that you know, obviously we heard from Conor McGregor just a week or so ago on Ariel Hawani's ESPN show apologising profusely for his actions outside of the Oxygen in recent weeks. Conor McGregor still has a future. Let's get that straight off the bat. He still has a future with this promotion. And as for what Dana White is looking for this evening, he was telling us the uh, packed media core yesterday that this is already trending to be a record breaker. He's been surprised at the level of media interest that this week has provided without Conor McGregor here. I was speaking the one insider at the UFC who said when Dana White came out in the media day on Thursday, he said an expletive to say, oh, I didn't quite expect this because normally he sees similar media scrums for Conor McGregor. He hasn't seen one when Conor McGregor hasn't been part of this. So he's counting his cash already. He, he is expecting this to be a record breaker. So regardless of who wins tonight, UFC is in a very good place. I think you've only got to look at their social media following. I was interested to read this past week as well, Ross, and I'm sure you took notice of this. But only the NBA now, from a US sporting perspective, has more Instagram followers than the UFC. And when you consider the UFC has only really been trending in the last two decades, the last 20 years since Dana White got his hands on this organisation, that tells you all you need to know. It's trending above the NFL. It's trending trending above Major League Baseball. It's quite extraordinary. It's in a good place. Regardless of who wins tonight, this has been deemed a success. UFC is here to stay. And in the words of Dana White yesterday, mind-boggling is the word he used to describe the plans that they have for Abu Dhabi over the course of the next five years. Chris, that's exactly what I wanted to ask you. Talk about UFC being in a good place. We've seen a lot of fighting events, as, as, as I call it, especially in the, in the nation's capital, as well as the fight being announced in, KF, uh, in KSA, should I rather say. Do you foresee more of these UFC fights coming to the UAE? Absolutely. There is no doubt about that. A five-year deal has been inked, pal, with Abu Dhabi Department of Culture and Tourism. Again, I'll go back to what Dana said. Mind-boggling things. He said, if this week, if you were impressed with this week, he said, and I'm quoting here, the plans in the works 10 times this size. There's a brand new arena, 19,000 capacity arena being built on Yaz Island, a more permanent structure than the one that I'm currently looking at. He 
Jason's talking about some huge artists building up a week before. We've had the Red Hot Chili Peppers. We were just had Jay Balvin. He's talking about pool parties. He's talking about the biggest artists, the biggest celebrities flying in to Abu Dhabi. He was telling us that the Royals are behind all of this. It's not just for the next five years, and it's an exclusive deal as well. I should point out Saudi Arabia, any of the other countries, they cannot edge in on Abu Dhabi's territory. This is exclusive. And Dana White was saying that they want to make this the Las Vegas of the Middle East from a UFC perspective. Be prepared for performance institutes to be built here. Be prepared to see fighters come over to this part of the world and put their training camps in place in the Middle East. I mean this. This is a big deal. This isn't just a you know, lip service. This is the UFC wanting to create a hub, a mecca, if you will, for fighting in the world. And it will be right here in Abu Dhabi. Chris, I'd hate to play a little devil's advocate with you, but at the end of the day, doesn't it boil down to pay-per-views? If Dana White comes out here and he gambles on this fight, UFC 242, and it doesn't even come close to what it would be for the Las Vegas fights, don't you think he'd kind of lose steam behind this idea? I mean, you can't be throwing money to something that's not generating you revenue on on the other, other side of things, as much as we want fights out here. I think the key thing there, Ross, is it's not Dana White's money. I'm not privy to the figures that have been banded around here, but there's been a huge investment from the Abu Dhabi side, the Department of Culture and Tourism. This has, again, this, not only this event, you just have to look at the structure that's in front of me. We're talking of millions of dollars have been poured into this for the five-year deal. I would hazard a guess that we're talking in the tens of millions of US dollars. Regardless of whether the pay-per-view is down a couple of hundred thousand, we'll only find that out in the coming days, Ross. But money talks, as you well know, when you front up the cash, there is a reason that Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz Jr. are heading for Saudi Arabia. When you front up the cash and the sums that have been bandied around, then instantly you gain the respect, instantly you gain the interest of Dana White. He has signed up for five years, love it or not, whether it's a set success or not with the pay-per-views, they are wedded to this for the next five years. And as I say, from the sense that I'm hearing, it's some serious money that's been put behind this. Abu Dhabi are serious, and Dana White, from what he was saying yesterday, they're incredibly serious about it as well. So, McCarty, paint a picture. Uh, we are going to be handing over to you in round about 25 minutes' time. Uh, you're on from six. How, uh, how long are you on for? Three hours this evening, so we'll see you through all the prelim fights, all the kind of undercard fights will build up towards the preliminary card as well. Yeah, the big fighters, the big four fights are expected. It's not before 10 p.m. So we'll have some guests popping in from town, adding a bit of muscle to our hustle as well. We'll have that exclusive interview, 15 minutes we got yesterday, with Dana White, some fascinating stuff. Conor McGregor, he talks about that relationship with Abu Dhabi, Khabib, Norma Gomedov, all of that coming your way. That exclusive will be rolled out at about 6.30 this evening. We'll have numerous guests popping on. We've got Dan Hardy who will be joining us as well. So if you love your fight game, you got locked. Dubai, I want to see PK. It is myself, Chris McCarty, Robbie Greenfield, and of course, Tam Tam. We're live on your airways from six o'clock. Chris, we're looking forward to it. Thanks very much indeed for uh, taking time to chat with us. All the best with the broadcast later on this evening. Enjoy the fight night as well. Chris McCarty there joining us live on the line. And just as Chris was saying there, don't forget it's Abu Dhabi Showdown Week main event later uh, when UFC 242 featuring Khabib and Dustin 
takes to the arena at Yas Island. Organisers earlier today releasing the final 100 tickets for what is undoubtedly the biggest sporting event of the year in the UAE with over 13,000 tickets sold already. It's a final chance to be at the fight uh, the entire world is talking about. If you would like to get your hands on those tickets, ticketmaster.ae to get yours now and see if there are any last-minute opportunities. Drama in the cricket, I'll get to that and tell you what's been happening in that and the other live sport in a few moments' time. This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. A disastrous start for Australia. They are in again, uh, their second innings. England narrowly avoiding the follow-on, uh, but David Warner's horrific series continues as well. Um, and guess what? It is that man, Stuart Broad, who's picked him up again. Uh, Broad uh, picking up David Warner, plum LBW. Uh, Stuart Broad to David Warner in this series. 93 balls, 32 runs, six dismissals in that one. Three ducks in a row for David Warner. He's the third Australia opener to do that and basically can't do anything right at the moment. Stuart Broad has just picked him up uh, for the sixth time in this series. Extraordinary um, to see that, uh, well, the, the contrasting forms uh, and, uh, and, and uh, hopes of a number of the Australian cricketers, Steve Smith, who can't do anything wrong at the moment, David Warner, who just can't buy a run. That's what's happening in the cricket. Let's find out what's happening in the basketball. Yeah, it's the World Cup going on right now. Turkey has just made work of Montenegro, defeating them 79-74. to This is the qualification round. Here's some second-round games for you, some live scores underway. France is beating Lithuania 67-63. to If Lithuania can upset the French, this would be quite the upset. There's six minutes to go in the fourth corner there. Germany is handling Senegal right now, 89-75, only 34 seconds to go in the fourth quarter. And the U.S. of A taking on the Greek Freak. Uh, taking on Greece right now, handling them in the third quarter, 45 to 32, starting the starting the second half on a uh, on a five point run. Uh, what's happening in the Euro qualifiers? Well, it is Kosovo against the Czech Republic, one apiece in that game at the moment, 36 minutes in. Next up, we got England against Bulgaria, Lithuania against Ukraine, Iceland against Moldova. All those kicking off at eight o'clock. Rugby? Yeah, Tom, what I can tell you, there's been a score for Wales, and it was the inside centre, Hadley Parks. That took a fantastic ball, crashing over, converted by Lee Halfpenny. Wales lead the encounter, 10 points to 7, 37 minutes played. That's what's happening in the um, uh, rugby for you. And lest we not forget, Monza is roaring at present as well. Qualifying is underway uh, for the uh, Italian Grand Prix, which takes place tomorrow at the famous Monza circuit. Uh, what we can tell you so far, and as we're just getting uh, updates coming in, um, is that uh, Verstappen uh, is the biggest uh, uh, head to roll in qualifying one. Uh, he had a big power problem. So Verstappen out in qualifying one and out of the qualifying with a power problem. Uh, but Leclerc continuing his good form. He's still fastest. Absolutely. As you said, Max Verstappen will be starting in last position tomorrow. Tom, what I can tell you is the people that are in the danger zone at the moment trying to make it through to Q3 is Stroll, Norris, Giovanzi, Gasly and Rakkinen. He's currently down in 15th position. They'll be looking to post some quick times before the session closes. What I can tell you is the session has been halted with a yellow flag because Kivet has had an accident and uh, he's radioed in. I think we need some tow, guys. So uh, hopefully they'll get that car off the track and they will continue. But as you say, the man in the Ferrari, Leclerc, he's been looking very, very sharp the whole weekend. It wouldn't be fantastic for him 
to post pole position in the hometown of Ferrari. Indeed. Uh, let's go over to the world of baseball now. See, uh, Ross Chris got the latest for us. Yeah, I'm going to get you some scores from last night because baseball is about 20 games left in the regular season here. The Oakland Athletics defeated the Detroit Tigers 7-3. to Friars picks up the win there. The Pittsburgh Pirates beat the St. Louis Cardinals in Pittsburgh, moving to 62-79 and on a dismal season for the Buccos. The Texas Rangers defeated the Orioles 7-6. to That was in Baltimore. The Yankees fell to the Red Sox 6-1. to Red Sox go to 76-65 and on the season. The Mets finally won against the Phillies. It was in... Uh, it was a bases-loaded walk that made the Mets win 5-4. to four. The Mets are still trying to get into that last spot for the NL wildcard race. The Rays beat the Blue Jays 5 to nothing in Tampa Bay. That was at the Trop. The Diamondbacks beat the Reds 7-5. to five. The Atlanta Braves beat the Nationals 4-3. to three. And the Los Angeles Angels defeated the Chicago White Sox in the south side of Chicago. Robles picked up the win. He hasn't lost this year. He's 5-0 and with a 2.54 ERA. Upton picked up a homer in that one. And the Brewers beat the Cubs in Milwaukee 7-1 to thanks to the bat of Christian Yelich. And Yelich in the air, right center field. Castellanos looking up. Brewers fans, you have to include Christian Yelich in this year's MVP race. He has been lights out for you guys at the bat. Phenomenal play for him throughout the year, hitting his 44th home run for the Brew Crew. The Houston Astros defeated the Seattle Mariners 7-4. Smith picked up the win. He goes to 1-0 on the season. The Indians made work of the Twins in 11 innings. It took it took them 11 innings to win that one. Clippard picks up the win. He goes to 1-0 on the season. The Tigers beat the Athletics in 11 innings as well. This was the doubleheader in Oakland, and they moved to 42-98 on the season, one of the worst teams. If not, they are the worst team in baseball this year. The Colorado Rockies defeated the Padres 3-2. They moved to 60-82 on the season. And the late game was the Giants-Dodgers. Still no love lost between these two teams. The Dodgers lost. Lost in Los Angeles at Dodgers Park to the Giants 5-4. Shamarja, the former college football player from Notre Dame, now baseball pitcher for the Giants, won. He moves to 10-11 on the season. I also want to bring our attention to some other stuff, some other stuff stateside because the Antonio Brown saga has been going on back and forth ever since his days with the Pittsburgh Steelers when he filmed his coach's post-game speech and he talked his way into a trade out of town then he moves to the ragers he freezes his feet this summer he gets frostbite he gets in trouble with the nfl over his helmet he skips practice then he then he uploaded on instagram the general manager's fine for him skipping practice general manager shows up to practice and he yells racial epithets at him and then we are where we're at today a couple days before the first game of the season the Raiders and Antonio Brown playing he said she said he's a headache they don't know what to do Antonio Brown finally came out this yesterday and issued an apology I'm excited to be out here today uh, I'm gonna apologize to my teammates uh, organization enough talk man I'm excited to be out here with my teammates and uh, grateful for all the fans and uh, I'm excited to uh, be a part of the Raiders and see you guys soon. A little background behind the story is 
basically his general manager came to practice. Antonio Brown came up to him and just started swearing at him. General manager then kicked him out of practice and fined him. Antonio Brown went to social media and uploaded the fine to social media and then filmed, recorded a phone conversation with his head coach and uploaded that to social media. Ouch. And now his head coach, John Gruden, who just came out of the Monday Night Football stand after 10 years, has won two Super Bowls, historic coach, doesn't know what to do. His hands are up in the air, but he's saying he has to play them. I really have a prepared statement. I'll just say Antonio's back today. We're really excited about that, ready to move on. He's uh, had a lot of, uh, obviously, time to think about things, and we're happy to have him back. And I know the nation is excited about that, too. All right? Raider Nation, I don't know if you're excited, bewildered, scratching your head. Is the Antonio Brown price tag worth the headache is the question. Well, guess what happens? If you just win, baby, just like Al Davis said, the Raiders will be happy. If they start losing, they're going to be start pointing fingers, and that will be a quick, quick dumpster fire out there in Oakland. And keep in mind, gentlemen, this is their last year playing in Oakland. They want to pick up some momentum before they move to Sin City next year. They will be in Las Vegas, so... If you want to tune in to what could be a dumpster fire or could be, uh, I guess, you know, a Broadway show, wake up early Tuesday morning, 6.20 a.m. Denver Broncos head to the Oakland Coliseum for the last opening game in Oakland and take on the Oakland Raiders at 6.20 in the morning. Russ, Chris, I've got a question for you. Uh-oh. I have an answer for you. Uh-oh. Yeah, just to, to our listeners out there, please tell me what a no-hitter is. Justin Vlander had his third no-hitter in his career. It's exactly what it sounds like, Carl Van Rosenfeld. It's when the pitcher goes up there and he pitches the whole entire game and no one gets a hit off of him. So it's a little bit different from a perfect game. A perfect game is a little bit more challenging because you can get a no-hitter and still walk a baseball player. So you get four four balls and three strikes. If you throw four balls, they get to take first base. Um, so Justin Verlander gave up a walk in that game, but he didn't give up any hits. If you have a perfect game, you give up no walks and no hits. But Justin Verlander, Hall of Famer, no doubt. He'll be in Cooperstown. He's doing great, great things. Oh, you listen to The Grill, broadcasting live from uh, Barasti, where the game is always on. Uh, do share your thoughts with us by texting them through to us now on 4001. Uh, it is 5 for 1 in the test match. Uh, David Warner, the man to fall early in uh, this second innings for Australia. Uh, Halftime in the rugby, we'll have a little uh, synopsis on what's been going on there with uh, Armand Sivior in a few moments' time. And we'll tell you what's happening in the Italian Grand Prix qualifiers. That's all coming away in a few moments' time. You're listening to The Grill. More of the biggest sports stories now. On Dubai I 103.8 listening to Dubai 103.8 you're listening to the crowd <laughs> we're broadcasting live from Brasti where the game is always on uh, and uh, let's talk you uh, talk you through some of those games in fact just before we do that uh, what's happening in the rugby uh, Carlos let's have the latest there what I can tell you is it's half time in Ireland Tom and uh, Wales are leading that fixture 10 points to 7 uh, that's what's happening in the rugby uh, talking of the rugby sad day for uh, rugby fans the world over, none more so uh, than South African rugby fans for the passing of Chester Williams. Do you remember, the, 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 I mean, you were talking so eloquently earlier about you know, the significance he's had on the game in South Africa. But he, he had that sort of immediate impact, didn't he? Because he, was it a hat-trick of tries on his, on his first game? Well, he scored four tries when he, when he made his way back into the World Cup squad. Because, of course, he was injured 
in uh, in uh, in the beginning starts of the 1995 World Cup, and then of course against Samoa, he scored those four fantastic tries. Uh, Chester Williams just to announce himself to the World Cup. Of course, uh, former President Nelson Mandela also had a very very good relationship with Chester Williams, and of course he was the face, the whole transformation of rugby in South Africa and as you say down to earth fantastic family guy and a wonderful player rest in peace Chester Williams thoughts obviously go to Chester Williams family and the wider rugby community in South Africa let's just remind ourselves of how good he was tap coming on this occasion from Mike Nicker but that's Mark Andrews going through South Africa with one players running off the ball at pace on this occasion, there's Pinard just to take the brunt of that first tackle. South Africa have got numbers on the outside. Now he has a real chance. That's great running by Tiber. Chester Williams will score. And for the fourth time, South Africa have a chance. This is a long pass. Can Cooper make something of this? And Pinard back inside is Christmas So. Running off the ball beautifully. There was Ruben Krieger. Chester Williams will score. Trial number two for Chester Williams. What a remarkable opportunity that has been given this man. He has a chance for Chester Williams. Can Williams get in? Great running by Chester Williams, hat-trick for him. First Rugby World Cup match. And you can just hear what a popular man Chester Williams is here at Ellis Park as the people shout out. Chester Williams takes over the the scrum off position and as he scored yes it seems like that try will be credited to Chester Williams try number four uh, the great Chester Williams who sadly uh, passed uh, passed away uh, over the last few days um, Right, let's wrap things up before we head on down to Abu Dhabi. Got to say a big thank you to all the team uh, here, Benji and all the crew uh, here uh, at Barasti. Thanks so much indeed to all the team at Barasti and, of course, all the team back in the studio. Uh, so do stay tuned to Dubai I-103.8. Why? Because we will be heading on down to Abu Dhabi very shortly, UFC 242. Now, I'm surprised that neither of you are there. You're not going. No, Tommy. Work tomorrow, Work early tomorrow. morning. And, and I'm going to start doing the school run this year. So, well, yeah, so what about you, though? It's right on. up your avenue, isn't it? Yeah, I was there all weekend long for the uh, Mai Tai Open Championship, so I got my taste of the capital. Had to come back here and hang out with you guys tonight. But I'm happy to find out this is for free, Abu Dhabi Sports Television. So why why even have to head down there? Why can we go watch it in the <laughs> comfort of our own home here in Dubai? Vicious rumor is you couldn't get the chicken wings you like. That's why you came back. <laughs> <laughs> That's another story. There That's another story. Another Upset brewing in the World Cup. France is holding on to a two-point lead. 52 seconds left in the game. If Lithuania can beat them, this would be a big upset. Germany has beaten Senegal 89-78. to The Americans are beating Greece. 56 to 37, nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter of the World Cup. Uh, 
Uh, Roscoe, lovely to see you. Haven't seen you for a while, so great yep. to see you, mate. Always a pleasure. Thanks Always very much indeed. Look forward to locking horns again sometime soon. Make sure you do tune in next week between the hours of three and six uh, for another dose of uh, the grill live from Barasti. Uh, CBR, thank you, mate. Enjoy the rest of the evening. Always a pleasure. Enjoy it, Tom. Enjoy your sporting weekend and more. Uh, if you're looking for somewhere to watch your sports, get yourself down here to Barasti. Uh, it is live on the big screens and, of course, the 20-plus screens around the venue. Uh, UFC 242 has been a large topic of conversation and it will continue to be so right here on Dubai I 103.8 throughout the rest of the evening. Stay tuned. Chris McCarty, Robbie Greenfield and a whole host of uh, special guests joining us in just a few minutes time ahead of UFC 242. The biggest fight in UFC history. Khabib Nurmagomedov, Conor McGregor. 26 have tried. 26 have failed to solve Khabib Nurmagomedov. One way or another, we will all witness a piece of UFC history. Khabib Nurmagomedov is chasing the biggest win of his career. I've never been more excited for a fight. Oh! Massive right from Nurmagomedov! The Khabib's all over him here. Oh, big ground and pound. Connor's getting lit up. It's just ferocious. Khabib is trying to smash his face. Connor's in serious trouble. Full mount. Back mount. He's got it. It's under the neck. There's the tap. Still undisputed. Look at him screaming at the corner. Oh, no, 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 no. Mayhem. Oh, no. All hell has broken loose. Habib Nurmagomedov is going to be out for pretty substantial length of time. The Nevada State Athletic Commission voted unanimously. Nine-month suspension and a $500,000 fine. The belt can't be on the shelf that long. That would be one of the rare cases where they do an interim title fight. Live from State Farm Arena in Atlanta, Georgia, USA, this is UFC 236, Holloway versus Poirier 2. Sixth overall UFC main event and 22 UFC starts for Poirier and finally a championship opportunity tonight. The road it's taken me to get to the title shot in the UFC history, only one guy has fought more fights than me before getting a title fight, and that's Michael Bisbee. Those are the kind of fighters that I've always looked up to. Just never quit, no matter the outcome. Everything I have is through fighting. Everything that I've accomplished, I never finished ninth grade. My whole career and my life has been built brick by brick with my own hands. You know, a lot of guys, they talk to get themselves an opportunity, but he fought his way to get an opportunity. Stopping Anthony Pettis. Stopping Justin Gagey. Stopping Eddie Alvarez. I mean, that is a who's who. Those are three of the best fighters in the world. This isn't a game to me. I know it probably is cliche, but I'm telling you the honest truth. I had nothing, and I'm setting my family up for the future with this, you know, one punch at a time. This is survival. I mean, you go out there and survive and thrive. Oh, Poirier's all over him! My commitment, my focus. Oh, big right hand! Poirier with big power! My will to win. Justin Poirier pouring it on! Is unmeasurable. A new interim lightweight champion of the world! I felt like king of the world, you know, but that was one step and it's not over. September 7th, we get to finish the journey to the throne. There is 
Only one king. Habib Nurmagomedov, he has been unrivaled inside the octagon. He's just an unprecedented phenom of a talent. He smashes people. He is relentless. Oh, man. Look at Barboza's face. He's just so overwhelmed. Not only has he won every fight, but he has only had a brief moment of adversity his entire career. He never fights with someone like me. When I go to the cage, I have to crush my opponents. Michael should tap or he's going to break his arm. He's going to break his arm. It is all over. What a display of dominance by Habib Nurmagomedov. My opinion, he deserved this fight. I respect him like fighter, like human being, but when I go to the cage, uh, I can't respect him. When a fight beginning, I have to smear this guy. The underdog, that's been my whole life story. It's like a Rocky movie. I get to go out there and against all odds, show who I am as a person and a fighter, represent myself, my family. Years of sacrifice and dreaming and chasing dreams. Khabib, it's time, let's go! I think he's not on my level. I know I have what it takes. I'm headed to the top, and this is just part of my journey. Nobody can beat me. Nobody. Cage is gonna close. I'm gonna maul him. Like always. This is The Grill. On Dubai Eye 103.8. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.